0: Well, after a brief hiatus for vacation, the Big D is back with a uh, Coach's 2023 theme edition the Big D Podcast. Before I bring in Kyle, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Sweck and Swords YouTube page. A lot of content, football, golf, so, you know, with the Open coming up, I might be hitting a driver, a three-wood, or a. hitting the old, uh, driving iron. Also check out the Big Deep Podcast for all the audience listeners on Spotify and Apple. So joining us today, full pa- full press, uh, full press Packers going for two. So many other different websites, podcasts that, uh, we would be, that we would be here for an hour and a half. But, uh, Kyle Senra is back. So, uh, Kyle, uh, you ready? We're talking top 10 coaches. You were with me last when we did top 10 quarterbacks. So yeah,
1: I was just thinking about that too. Yes, that was, that was fun. It was a good ex- exercise. And so thank you. Appreciate very much
0: for you inviting me back on for this topic. Yeah. So when you think of coaches, what do you think of a co- coach? Specifically a top coach.
1: I mean, it's all about the results, right? You got to get your team to be able to win games. And there's so many of those key situations where coaching will matter. Sometimes it's with play calling, either on offense or defense. Sometimes it's decisions, you know, going forward on fourth down or kicking. Sometimes it's simply the things we don't see, the preparation through the week to get players ready for for those big moments. And then through, we're talking the elite, the elite, I think that has to, the championship ability to win a title I think has to come into question and come into play for sure. I think that definitely factors in certainly at the top of my list where, you know, probably get through more than halfway down through the list before you get to a coach that hasn't won a Super Bowl. So that's certainly impacted greatly. I think looked at other accolades. Uh, I went and I looked at the, uh, the all decade list uh, for the last couple, since all of the coaches that are active now have been in and like who got there, who got the coach of the year award. So who have got the, you know the people who cover the sport. Who have they considered to be the best coaches at different times? So I kind of tried to amalgamate that all together. Uh, I also took into account every coach's winning percentage through their career so far.
0: I look at I look at key situations: who's going to throw down? Who's good in the red zone? Fourth down? Who's good coming in and out second half? And also look good. I look at what time of the Coach you are, whether you're an offensive-minded coach or defense mind coach, is your area of the the team capable of handling itself? For instance, if you're the New England Patriots, you've got to have a good defense and special teams because Belichick's gonna lean the defensive side of the ball. But if you're Andy Reid and the Chiefs, you know the offense will be good because they've got maybe the best offensive play call in the league. But It's so fascinating to me how she is. And also, we've seen in the last few years where aggressive coaches tend to matter more. And we remember Sean Payton going for an onside kick to start the second half of Super Bowl once. Are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Sorry. Um, it seems like aggressive coaches matter more because we saw Sean Payton go for it you on know, go for an outside kick to start second half of Super forty four against the Colts.
1: I think we've also seen like a phenomenon recently. I'm just thinking of coaches going for two when they're like to to win a game at the end instead of kick an extra point to tie. We've seen that a, a, you know a few times. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but uh, I, you know, and I could think of a couple of coaches on my top 10 list that have done that. Uh, recently, uh, Brian uh, Actually, I guess three coaches. Cause I wasn't even thinking of him, but yes, yeah, so the, the three coaches on my list, uh, I guess I kind of spoiled a little bit there, but uh, yeah, that, that have done that recently, the decision to let's go for a win instead of a, a you know, the chance at overtime.
0: Yeah, Doug Pete. Yeah, Doug Peterson, one for two against the Ravens. I know Brian Dable one for two against the Titans. Week one. Hmm. Does it all? Does it also help? Maybe. I don't. I don't know if it matters quite as much today, but. Does experience in the NFL matter? Because we've seen so many young coaches come and make an impact, whether it be Brian Dable or who was the guy in Minnesota, Kevin O'Connell or Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins, make an impact as a rookie head coach. It seems like rookie head coaches, particularly offensive mind rookie head coaches, do pretty well.
1: I mean – Not Nathaniel Hackett notwithstanding, who was a rookie offensive-minded head coach last year, that was a complete disaster.
0: That would be because he was the foremost in Green Bay, right?
1: Well, he just, you know, not every... And I think he's, you know, from his time in Jacksonville, like he got the best out of Blake Bortles that anyone possibly could have got. I think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator, but it's not always a good even sometimes the best offensive coordinator or defense coordinator might not make the best head coach. I think like Wade Phillips, exceptional defensive coordinator below average as a head coach, probably like, you know, probably not the worst, certainly not Nathaniel Hackett bad because he at least seemed like he was prepared for the job. I wonder if, and you know, the, the unfortunate thing with Hackett is he might not ever get another chance now, but if, if, if it had been like another, say five or 10 years before he got his first head coaching gig, would that have given him enough t- time to learn more that would have been needed to, to do something like that. It just seemed like he was woefully unprepared for, uh, for being a head coach or what it, what it took. And so uh, it just seems like some of these young guys that f- finally got their first chances last year were prepared. And I mean, for, you know, for some of them, especially like Brian Dable, because I, I believe he was part of the you know coaching staff on the Patriots dynasty, like the the first three championships. Like I think he was uh, with the team in two thousand three and two thousand four. So you know he had enough experience and had been out enough winners and like that really got far. <laughs> Seeing Bill Belichick helps, but uh, you know you know went to college, did some things in college, came back to the NFL. Like he had gone through so much, so many different walks of life of a football coach, and accumulated that experience that. Yes, he was a first-time head coach last year, but it didn't seem like he was coming in as a rookie, not ready for what it was like. So, uh, you know, Kevin O'Connell's pretty young, but I think he also seemed pretty well-prepared. So it looks like, you know, tied to Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel tied to Kyle Shanahan. I guess Hackett was tied to Matt LaFleur, but maybe not every good head coach is good at teaching the next head coach. So uh, it does seem like it's individual basis. I know for myself, the back end of the top 10 was kind of wide open. I had, a, a, I hit a certain tier where it's like, okay, these people are all kind of automatically in the in this top 10 where I ranked them and where I figured out afterwards. But like the, the, the back end, I thought it was wide open. There was a lot of candidates that could have filled those last few spots. And I wasn't afraid to take a couple of guys with only one year head coaching experience, to be honest.
0: I, I took a couple of guys with one, one mm-hmm. year experience too. You'll see. On my list. All right. But uh, obviously, uh, back in the day, it seemed like everybody tried to pick the Bill Parcells tree of, I mean, it's not Bill Parcells, Bill Walsh tree of firing the next, of getting the next coach with with, with a West Coast background, whether it be uh, Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan, some of these guys. Uh, Andy Reid was part of that too, he, really. He, and now today, it seems like the two, the two big coaching minds, are, especially on the offensive side, are Andy Reid and Sean Reve. Everybody wants either an Andy Reid disciple or a Sean Reve disciple. Disci- Why does seemingly every team looking for an offensive mind coach go to Sean Reve or Andy Reid?
1: I think I would think it's because people view that as not only are you excelling with those coaches, but you're learning so much from being in the room with Sean McVay, so much about football and like what Andy Reid could teach to all of his offensive coordinators, which is why most of them end up with head coaching jobs. (laughs) Not sure why the enemy doesn't have one yet, but, uh, but yeah, it it seems like, you know, you're learning something every year in football. And it seems like Reid, especially, because we've seen it for so long. He's such a track record of adjusting and constantly learning and adding things to the offense so he if if he's constantly learning as well you'd expect that so are his coordinators and everyone underneath the tree from him so I'd imagine teams feel that okay this he was Andy Reid's offense coordinator he's going to come with so much knowledge about the game and then it's does it translate to being a head coach or not and that might de- like you could have all the knowledge in the world but it might not depending on the coach right but it, I think that the the knowledge base there and it, it seems like Anyone that was part of Sean McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur, that that uh, all of them working under Mike Shanahan in Washington with Robert Griffin III. It seems like like that year where they all kind of came together and they came up with a bunch of concepts and, and everything has branched out since then. And, and anyone who's gotten a shot specifically with McVeigh, but also it seems like Shanahan recently, uh, yeah, it's uh, just just say you were in an elevator with either one of them and you'll probably get a job in the NFL.
0: <laughs> I mean, look at even look at your coach in Green Bay. I mean, Matt Lafleur was Matt Lafleur. Actually, you could say was part of McVeigh. Actually, knew McVay and uh, Shanahan. My memory serves me. He, right.
1: he, he worked with Shanahan before they worked together with Sean McVeigh. Uh, he and Kyle Shanahan were both uh, before they even worked with Kyle's dad. They they were both uh, offensive assistants uh, on the Houston, Texas. Uh, Texans under Gary Kubiak that's where they got their starts together and then eventually Kyle was the offensive coordinator uh I believe like you look at Matt Schaub's best years a couple of those were with Shanahan as OC and I'm pretty sure Matt LaFleur was was the quarterback's coach and that's where that relationship started there and then when they worked together with Mike Shanahan in Washington that's where they met Sean McVay and collaborated
0: together so yeah like Matt LaFleur has known those guys for a lot of his life and then look at what happened with Kyle Santana with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan became an MVP.
1: Yeah, he's never hit that high. Like he's had and Matt Ryan has had other good seasons, but that was his best season and he hasn't come all that close to it in any other year.
0: Also then it also helped that Julio Jones was healthy and looked like Julio Jones.
1: Yeah, but even when Julio Jones and Roddy White were both in their prime, like Matt Ryan had some good season, but but never an MVP season, never getting to the Super Bowl. So it, it's – Matt Ryan is always a really good quarterback, but Shanahan for at least that period made him a great
0: quarterback. Which, which legendary head coach could you listen to – could you listen to all afternoon? Because I'm trying to – because I think there's one head coach, and I'm wondering if you're going to name him, who I could hear all afternoon. And he would not and he would not be going one iota
1: i'm going to reference john madden talking about this he went to Ooh. a vince lombardi seminar and lombardi basically talked about you could talk about it was i, I imagine it was the the packer sweep and he spent like the first hour and a half of that before the first break just talking about one play and John Madden says he was just glued like the, the, the amount of information you could gain about the game of football, just based on that one play. I, I'm pretty sure it was the first example of, of a zone based offensive blocking scheme. If not, the first example was certainly the one that got the best results out of it. And so I uh, just so much gained about football and just talking about one play. And it seemed like that was just the first part of the seminar. Now it seemed like John Madden, who's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history he would say vince lombardi and as a packers fan i'm kind of highly inclined to agree and just take the, the homer pick and, and say vince
0: lombardi i mean listen and look what happened to man in video games you can ask man and basically say he'll run this play or he wouldn't run this play <laughs> Uh I've got I've got one for you. How about Hank Stram? If you remember Super Four, thank goodness that he was Mike for that game because I'm sure would have made everybody I'm sure made the game viewing better. But uh we can all remember that we can all remember 65 toss power trap now just like it did in New Orleans, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh no, uh for a while that was the Chiefs only NFL championship.
0: So uh, and not now they've got two in recent time. Um, you have a coach and a quarterback, right? That's <laughs> great. Hey hey, uh you had a couple good coaches, a couple good quarterbacks. You got a couple rings out of it. Might have got a couple few more, but
1: I'm not sure if they were mic'd up, but there was a couple of mics there, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: Oh, for Super Bowl rings,
1: and not to forget Mike Sherman in between them, who doesn't have a ring, unfortunately for Packers fans, but uh, yeah, oh, and I guess also unfortunately for Seahawks fans and Montreal Alouf- Alouettes fans.
0: And uh, well, didn't Sherman coach Texas A M, Texas M too?
1: Uh, yeah, you have me there. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, I just remember the obscure Montreal Alouettes era.
0: <laughs> oh Canada. Which co- which rookie head coach are you excited to see this year?
1: I think it's D'Amico Ryans. Um curious to see how he's gonna turn around that Texans defense. And I mean, I thought the best quarterback in this class was CJ Stroud. So I'm also curious to see how he's gonna work, even though he's not gonna be in charge of the offense, but what kind of team environment and culture he's going to put around this young should be stud quarterback so I'm going to go with D'Amico Ryans and uh the the, the gamble to pick Will Anderson and, and give up next year's first to go get two top three picks this year will that pay off and how will he manage that team so I'm going to
0: say him uh I think I'm going to pick uh you you picked Another rookie head rookie head coach or rookie quarterback. I'm gonna pick Stane striking with the Colts because A he already he did a great job turning Jalen Hurts into a 250 million dollar quarterback. So I mean yeah, Hurts and Richardson both have similar both have similar traits. Richon's more of a running quarterback. Can he turn him into a potential dual threat quarterback now one problem with the Colts is that they don't have near the offense of Philadelphia I mean there's no A.J. Brown there's no Devontae Smith there's no Dallas Goddard I mean I think we both say Michael Pittman would be the number three receiver on Philadelphia now but do have yeah, John in I agree and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. plus being a Jack fan I mean, fact we start with Anthony Richardson week one scares me because I have no idea what to expect. But it actually excites me because now I don't know what to expect.
1: It's going to be a tie week one, isn't it? Just like last year.
0: Don't remind. Don't don't you dare say that. Don't you dare say that. It's going to hey, be. A hey, I mean,
1: it turned out for you guys, you got you won the division, right? So I mean, some I've noticed that like in recent histories, the teams that tie there's sometimes an advantage on that. I remember there was a tie early in the season between the Bengals and the Panthers. And I think they both ended up winning their division by half a game because of the tie. So tie is not always a bad thing now, especially for the Colts. They won, they lost so many games. They would have loved to have
0: more ties. <laughs> this isn't hockey back in the day when games went in in ties. That's
1: true. Yeah. Embrace the tie, the Philadelphia Flyers. I think it's got, they've got like a 35 game unbeaten streak and, there's like 12 ties in that stretch, so it's not a big win streak. But.
0: Which head coaches under the oh head coaches are under the most pressure to win this year? Because seemingly five, six, seven, eight coaches always gets fired after every year. Who is under the most pressure to win this year?
1: You know, with Kellen Moore. Breathing down his neck, you would have said Mike McCarthy is an easy choice, but now that Kellen Moore is gone and there's no like heir apparent, has he given himself breathing room? You know they did win a playoff game last year, which was a step up from last year's, but now I wonder. Like I guess I think the previous year they had lost in the first round, so does he need to? Does McCarthy need to even better that? Like does does he need to reach the NFC Championship game in order to save his job? That's a ton of pressure potentially. So uh, maybe that's, again, the Packers bias blinding me. I'll go with the former Packers coach. Uh, I know before the show we were talking about one coach in particular that I'm sure you, you probably might think is, is under a lot of fire. And I, I, I to a certain extent, I'll, I'll agree with you on it, if that is, in <laughs> fact, your answer.
0: I don't think Mike McCauley is on there any question because Jerry Jones loves having Mike McCauley he can be his topic.
1: It took him so long to fire Jason Garrett. You know what? Yeah, Mike McCarthy's safe. I, again, I think if Kellen Moore was there, that would put the pressure. But now that they've moved on from Kellen Moore, it, it seems like that struggle is done. So, yeah, that's probably not a good answer. I, I think your your answer might uh, that you're staying with uh, might be better.
0: I've, I've got two for you, one in each conference. You, you can guess who they are. Well, I think Brandon Staley is for the Chargers. And Brandon Staley's not one of them. Oh, interesting.
1: Um I think in the in the NFC pressure means results right and I think has this gone on long enough with the 49ers like pick the quarterback no, and no, it better be right? right like if if Shanahan picks the wrong quarterback and it blows up in his face is it uh John
0: Lynch is not firing top, Shanahan. no way no way
1: does Jed York just fire both though like if they're so tied together at this and the QB experiment fails Let's say they force it with Trey Lance and he's awful. Do they just just clean house? Okay, okay, yeah. I guess I guess I, I was wrong. That's not your answer.
0: <laughs> I'll give you a hint. When a guy pays, what is it, six billion dollars, he's gonna he's gonna want a medium oh. result. And if the Washington Commanders or whatever name they all mm. they might have already changed their name three times by the time, just probably- go back to
1: Barons. That was their original franchise name. Washington Barons. There you go. You're right. Brown. Ron Rivera, though. Yeah, you know, that is a good answer.
0: Oh, Washington Generals.
1: Or Washington or, whatevers.
0: Because Washington, Washington missed the playoffs last year. New owner. Lord knows what's going to happen there. I mean, Sam Howe may or may not be the quarterback there. He spent money on Jacoby Bissette. Terry, uh, excuse me. Terry McLaurin's wondering, can I get a decent quarterback to throw me the freaking ball once in a while? But I think if the commanders don't have a big year this year, there will be a change of command. There will be a change there because new owners are going to want their coaches. I mean, we've seen this everywhere. Where new owners often make change. I mean, heck, the Phoenix Suns got rid of Monty Williams. Williams. So yeah, I didn't understand that at all. Like it seemed like he's
1: a good coach. So yeah, you're right. You're right. And to a certain extent, it's almost the opposite of the Cowboys. Like getting rid of Kellen Moore, maybe that that's less pressure behind McCarthy, but like an immediate replacement. Bringing in Eric Bieniemy does that put tons of pressure on Rivera? He got him in house. The owners get to see him. Do they view him as like like this year's almost an early interview process for Bieniemy's head coaching job? Does that kind of give him almost a foot in the door that if they see enough and be enemy, it doesn't even matter how good they, the commanders do with Rivera. We oh, didn't win a Super Bowl. Get rid of him. It's the enemy, right? So you, that's actually maybe the best answer. Yeah, I didn't think of that. one. Good job, Dylan.
0: Well, well, using an old Rick Pitino quote: "Patrick Mahomes is not coming through that door."
1: I don't think Sam is Patrick
0: Mahomes. Mm, uh, no, I don't he's think. Pretty good in his think...
1: one start last year, but the, it is just
0: one start. I don't think he should have diced me. Uh, in the, the, yeah,
1: in the East or in the AFC, who would it be in the AFC? Um, is it? I guess yeah. You've brought in Aaron Rodgers to talk about big investments. Is it uh, Robert Sala? Uh, if they don't win games this year, if they don't compete for a division and make the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers,
0: yep, everybody's gonna okay. fire in New York because Aaron Rodgers is not there to end up seven and ten and miss the playoffs. I mean Rob sells like last year.
1: Oh wait, they're eight and nine and missed the playoffs. <laughs> no, nine and eight missed the playoffs. I can't remember.
0: So what the Jets so what I I've got a I don't know what to expect with this Jet team because everybody's saying the Jets are in the Suo bubble. This is great. Aaron Rodgers is great. Well, when's the last time Aaron Rodgers won a meaningful playoff game against a quality of quarterback?
1: I mean they did beat the the Buccaneers last year early when like teams were competing. Tom Brady wasn't quite himself last year though, to be fair. Mm. Um
0: I mean what happened in what happened in the first Minnesota game, they lost. What happened in the London game? They lost. What happened in week eighteen against your Golf? Who came I mean they pull? did beat Cousins late in the season, but yeah. Well, yeah, that game was in Queen Bay and and Rob is know. basically just didn't have to. We're pointing
1: out like one game from last year, maybe two, right? So to, to your point, now it's been.
0: Yeah. Be I mean, they, beat, they beat Miami after two, was not cuckoo, but. Yeah, that's true. But again, I don't think that, I don't think the Jets are a Super Contender and it, and, No matter what happens this year, even the Jets, the Jets win a playoff game, okay, but defensive, young defensive mind, head coach, no offensive line, an aging legend. I mean, things could go bad, especially with a brutal start. I mean, you know, you know everything about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I don't know what to expect in New York this year, but I think Rob Sala is under a tremendous amount of pressure.
1: If I had to guess, I would, I think they make the division. Uh, sorry. I think they make the, they make a wild card spot. I don't think they'll win the division, but I, I, if I had to guess, I would say playoffs for the jets, but that's assuming Aaron Rodgers is much better than he was last year returning to his, you know, M- MVP form is very even somewhere close to that um, doesn't have to have a 9% touchdown rate again, but, I think he's a good enough quarterback that he'll. I think they'll be in the mix, but if he if if he ends up with stats like last year, and they, he only throws twenty five touchdowns, that's probably not good enough to make the playoffs in this very heated, close division. So,
0: I've yeah, got there's I've definitely got a room for letdown. I've got a question in terms of AFC quarterbacks. Where does Aaron Rodgers be on the list? Is he better than Mahomes, probably not. Better than Burrow. No. Josh Allen, nope. Herbert, nope. I
1: would take Herbert as well. Uh, Lamar, no, definitely taking Lamar. Uh,
0: Trevor. He
1: right now in a one game basis, I'd probably take Rogers over Lawrence. But if you're telling me like which quarterback do I have to choose for my team, I'm, I'm going to definitely take the younger guy. Uh, I do expect Lawrence to, you know, he took a step, big step up from your. You know, one to two, can we take it as good a step up from year two to three? Then he's probably going to be better than Rodgers this year. But if well, he kind of remains what he was last year, I could see Rodgers throwing more touchdowns, having the better season, maybe getting more wins. Uh, Lawrence is probably more likely to make the to like make the playoffs though and win the division just because of uh, the AFC South. So, yeah, yeah.
0: and also that's the- that's close. So
1: I think anyone below that, I'd probably take Rodgers for sure, and everyone above that, it's probably. Jack's
0: also adding Calvin Ridley too. So if Calvin Ridley's back to where he was in Atlanta, then maybe you mean maybe you mean that's
1: what helps Lawrence take that next step, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And also, if you want another coach on, on the hot seat, about chemist are fancy because uh, the Brown seemingly fire coaches second year, so first full year with Deshaun Watson back. I'm not sure what to count last year because Deshaun Watson didn't look like himself, didn't look agile, didn't look engaged. Engaged. It seemed like the Browns actually played better with Jacoby Bissette than with Deshaun from Paul to that time.
1: They had developed chemistry and then it suddenly broke it up and had to like relearn that chemistry aspect with Watson. So I expect it'll be better than what we saw at the end of last year. But you also have to think before – that the last time we saw Deshaun Watson for a full season they won four games that year with with the Houston Texans Now that was without DeAndre Hopkins that wide receiver room was actually brutal and you know they've had I mean you know hockey enough like they basically had the equivalent of Mike Milbury at GM in terms of Bill O'Brien now I'll I'll, I'll give Bill O'Brien his props very I would say excellent offensive coordinator so-so as a head coach but yeah, should never have been a GM. Mike Billberry, on the other hand, was just awful at anything he's done in hockey and also shouldn't have been a GM. But it the, the team was so ruined. He's got a great receiving core between Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, just having like those two solid he's weapons. He's yep, Donald Peoples Jones, great. I mean, the, the tight end room is nice between Njoku and Harrison Bryan. And he gets Jordan Akins, who he worked with in, in Houston. And then of course the run game behind Nick Chubb and, and that great offensive line. So I think the pieces are set. That's another team where, if I had to guess right now, I would say Brandon Staley's getting fired, and the Chargers are missing the playoffs And that last wild card spot. Assuming that the that North gets two between the Ravens and, and Bengals, the East gets two between the Jets and Bills, I think the North might actually get three, and the and the Browns sneak in for that third wild card spot, and the, the Chargers have a letdown season, and then maybe let go of Brandon Staley after this.
0: And don't forget Denver in the West, because. Guy, I'm sure we're going to mention, and then uh, Miami would be
1: the other one. I think people
0: might be oh, Pittsburgh, even yeah, Pittsburgh. I
1: I don't have much faith in Jordan Love. I probably have less faith in Kenny Pickett. So
0: let let's just say this: in terms of making the playoffs, I'd rather be in the NFC.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely much better, much better chance. I think Jordan Love makes the playoffs than Kenny Pickett. Yeah, there's there's a much bigger mountain to climb there. But I I do like your point about Kevin Stefanski and the pressure because it's they've invested big in a quarterback with those big investments. We expect results. Right. So Robert Sala, Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, both. I think the expectations, I think, for both those teams are playoffs, potentially playoffs or bust. So if, if either team misses the playoffs, that
0: might be it for that head coach. And Jimmy Haslam's not, and Jimmy Haslam doesn't take time to coaches. No, no, the Browns are unfortunately one of
1: the more poorly run franchises, and, and they have, they've, you know, they've been impatient with coaches. Sometimes that's been warranted because they've been, they've made like just bad decisions in the first place. Freddie Kitchens. Uh, so yeah, the Browns. I do think Kevin is a really good head coach, and I think it would be a mistake to fire him because I don't know how who would be available for them to get better? I think that's always got to be the question because I think he's pretty good, but
0: I guess we'll, uh, we'll have to see what the results show this year. All right. So uh, Kyle, uh, we did top 10 quarterbacks last year. Let's give all top 10 coaches we want right now, starting with starting at 10 going to one.
1: Well, at number 10, I've got Mike Vrabel from the Tennessee Titans uh, of there's Yeah. So, uh, 5.85 win percentage throughout his career. Uh, and he's been able to kind of get the most out of that team. It, you know, very much creating a culture and an identity. And through the run game, especially uh, behind Derrick Henry, they've created an offense and then had the defense to complement that run game offense. So he's created kind of a whole identity on this team that like everyone sticks to. And they pr- perform really well uh, that you're up against this, you know, Lamar Jackson MVP run game. And they went and they just smacked them in the mouth in, the, in a playoff game. And they were pretty unstoppable in that contest. Came back, and that was and that was after ending Tom Brady's career with the Patriots in his last game. His last throw with the Patriots was a pick six to the Titans to seal that game off. And then they have a halftime lead against the Chiefs. Like, that was such a, a great magical run. And it seems like through that run, they were so very well, head, uh, re- very well coached by the head guy in Mike Vrabel. It seems like he gets his team to buy in. They're not going to quit early uh we talked about the examples earlier of coaches willing to go for it go for two instead of kick an extra point to tie a game there was a game in london maybe one of the classic london finishes i believe against the chargers and the titans did exactly that they had a potential game tying drive go down got the six points uh to get within one and instead of kicking the point after going to overtime and giving those london fans their extra money they made the wild decision to go for two Converted it and there was still some time left, but the defense stopped the chargers uh, from advancing to field goal range and they won the game. So uh, the, the, the confidence in the, the team's ability, you know, I'm a head coach. I'm making a decision. I'm confident in you. Like that's felt by the team. It seems like in a lot of those circumstances, it doesn't always work, but it seems like those decisions are well respected by the players because, you know, the players will, will always blame themselves for not converting the coach expect put us out there to expect that. And it gives us confidence and belief in ourselves. And I don't, doesn't always just because you believe in yourself doesn't always mean you'll get results, especially when you're playing the NFL when that other team believes in their ability, but it does seem like Rabel does get that team to elevate to the moments last year was pretty awful. Once they lost their starting quarterback though, I think you take any coach of this top 10, you take away their starting quarterback and give them Malik Willis and Josh jobs. They're probably not going to win very many games. So uh, I thought Mike Rabel, certainly deserve to be in this top 10 list. And I put him just at the bottom at 10. I think this bottom three, especially for me, could have gone really ordered in any way, but I, I decided to put fable here.
0: Uh, Number 10, number 10 for me, I've got Matt, Matt LaFleur. Why everybody, why, while well, everybody will say, well, Matt LaFleur has won this, has won this. I think he's, I think he's done a lot with the Packers. He's got, he's he's won, how many division t- t- titles? Uh three with the pet three with Being the in pe- his four years, I believe, yes. Not bad. And uh also I think he I think he got the some of the best Aaron Rodgers we've seen in several years. I mean Aaron Jones and then uh Kristen Watson. I mean, he developed a lot of great young Packer players and especially on the offense side and I feel like he's underappreciative. Everybody's saying, well, you didn't win the big one. Some of his coaching decisions might not have been there, but we also saw where Ronda didn't exactly play up to his best in big games. And
1: uh, again, looking at coaching winner percentages, his current uh, win percentage in the regular season is 0. 0.712. It's the second Ooh. highest among any coaches right now. For reference sake, Bill Belichick is at 0. 0.662. So you say you got a better win percentage than Bill Belichick. That has to mean something. Unfortunately, it doesn't, it's not enough for him to be in my top 10. I have him basically. He's the the last guy out that didn't make the top 10. I'd probably rank him 11th, but yeah, certainly uh, happy that they moved on from McCarthy to what I view as an upgrade at head coach. Okay. Number nine. Well, number nine, number eight for me, we talked about this earlier, young coaches. And I, I had full confidence, including a couple of really young coaches here and talk about Matt LaFleur's win percentage, Kevin O'Connell after one season, and it's a short sample size 0.767 currently the highest among any active head coach. And the things I was saying about Vrabel, I felt like the ability to have your team buy in and not give up on any play or any game. And you all just constantly put the work in and the belief in oneself. It really showed itself in two major ways last year for the Vikings. We had an incredible Super Bowl. So I think anyone would say the game of the year last year was probably the Super Bowl. But if you had to pick any other game, you might say it's the Bills Vikings regular season Thri- overtime thriller. I mean, that game looked like the Bills had it done, and you know they they and maybe you argue they fumbled it more than the Vikings earned it, but they went and they got the tie. They wanted an overtime. Like kudos to the Vikings for not giving up. It manifests itself in a more meaningful sort of the score wise way when the Vikings broke the record for largest comeback in NFL history against Jeff Saturday, to be fair, uh, it was probably a pretty poorly head coach team for the Colts that maybe they almost got too ahead of themselves in that game and, and showed the opposite effect of when you don't have a ready and capable head coach. Cause I mean, O'Connell and, and Saturday are both rookie head coaches, but it really didn't work well with Saturday. Certainly did seemed to work really well with O'Connell. And, and like we said earlier, he's young, but it seemed like he was prepared for this job. And ultimately, they didn't win a playoff game as much as they had a great season, won the division, couldn't get done the first round of the playoffs. But I, I liked enough of what I saw from O'Connell to think this is a great coaching candidate to build off of. So I was willing to put him at number nine.
0: Uh, He actually, KOC just missed my list because the guy who beat him in said playoff game number nine on my list, Brian Dable. I mean, how he got turned Daniel Jones into a hundred plus million dollar quarterback is a miracle, but uh it seemed like Brian Dable brought a stability, a confidence, a swagger, and it brought a no-nonsense attitude. And think back to that week one game, but the Giants went for two. I'm like, that's something I don't think the previous coaches would have done, but he went for it, and uh, remember the one game with the Giants. We really didn't have a prayer in that game. They won that, and I'm like, "Wow!" And true, I mean the Giants overmatch against Jalen Hurts, but Terrence Jalen Hurts, Saquon Barkley looked like the not rookie Saquon Barkley, but went compatible. And then of uh, then of uh, what he did with Isaiah Hodgins, who's a uh, talking dynasty best ball redraft. So I think Brian Dable deserves
1: spot my list. I mean, who didn't look overmatched against Jalen Hurts last year? Let's be honest. I, I, the Chiefs, right? That, it, it literally took that team, <laughs> Super Bowl champions, to not look overmatched against Jalen Hurts. Um, I, well, I won't dwell too much further on it. Uh, the one reason I went Dable ahead of O'Connell and put Brian Dable at eight is, again, that head-to-head playoff win. Like, because they've had such short, only one regular season, I think it also puts more weight on that one playoff game that they played head-to-head. And I think going into that game, maybe the Vikings were the home seed. They were the higher seed. You Look at those rosters top to bottom. I mean, maybe some elements of the defense, you'd say the Giants are better in this area than the Vikings, but almost across the board, you'd say the Vikings were the better team than the Giants. And yet, Dable was able to coach that out-coach Kevin O'Connell to a certain extent, so coach is way up to number eight for me.
0: Uh, I've got Mike Frayle number eight on my list. I mean, despite being in the division with my team, I think what he what he has done with limited weapons is incredible. I mean, how the times so of the number one seed a couple of years ago is beyond me. But uh, doing it with Ryan Tanner, of course, Derrick Henry doesn't hurt. But you know, seems like no few if it seems like Bill Belichick. A, Assistant coaches don't do well in the NFL. Well, Mike Ray was the one Belichick assistant who's done well in the NFL.
1: Maybe you need a Belichick player. So that's <laughs> what he started. Where like, you know, he and it seemed like he was able to translate and learn so much as a player. So that way, when he, he started to become a coordinator, he already knew so much about football before he even stepped foot in a in a coaching room that was like prepared him for that. So uh, again, just seems super prepared for the job. Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I could have gone really any order with O'Connell, Dable, and Vrabel. And even, like, Matt LaFleur, I would have had him at 11. Like, I think all four of those really close together. And this is where the list really gets interesting to me in terms of I thought it was a clear tear break. So we might have the same top seven, potentially. Just to yeah. see what the order is
0: like. I'll give you my seventh coach right now, and it's Zach Taylor. I mean, yeah, I mean, part of that – part of the Sean uh, Rive tree, but uh, he – Yeah, it helps to have Joe Burrow, but Zach Taylor's done a really good job. I mean, find me a coach and a team who have given Andy Reid and the Chiefs as much trouble. I mean, how he won that playoff game in Buffalo without three-start alignment is beyond me. But Zach Taylor does not get the credit he deserves. I mean, the Bengals could have fired him after when Burrow tore his ACL. And then all of a sudden they're in the Super Bowl and giving the Rams all they want in L.A. And then back and then another AFC Championship game this past year. Zach Taylor feels like the most unappreciative coach in the and he is lucky number seven for me. It's almost the same argument with Matt
1: Lafleur, right? Oh, but it's just because he had Aaron Rodgers. Oh, it's just because he has Joe Burrow, right?
0: So wait, is Bill So wait, is Bill Walsh a great coach or a great coach because he had Joe Montana?
1: Yeah, you'll always be doubted, right? So I guess we don't have the same top seven because I did not. Uh, I have Sean Payton actually at number seven returning. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's obviously historical. But we have no idea what he's going to do with Denver. Uh, so I didn't feel like I could put him any higher than this. But uh, one thing I mentioned earlier, right? The ability to win the Super Bowl. That's something that kind of the rest of my list all has in common in terms of is winning that big game and winning the Super Bowl. And you talk about the decision, the aggressive decision. To kick that uh, onside kick to start the second half instead of just a traditional kickoff and giving them that extra possession, especially going up against a quarterback like Peyton Manning, knowing that you need every possession you can to to have the ability to score as many points as you can. Uh, Such a great play caller and maybe one of the best play designers we've ever seen in NFL history. Uh, It seems like his scheme will always leave a receiver open. There's, you know, you need that smart, accurate, quick throwing quarterback that can read and react incredibly well. And that will be, you know, they will be able to excel in that offense because he's his route combinations seem incredible to get, you know, mismatches. Uh, he talks about the Joker role, which has often been a running back and how he's utilized the running back really is like the 21st century back, how much they've been used as pass catchers. And, uh, you know, we saw Jimmy Graham and, and like the innovations of these like super athletic tight ends and how he's best utilized that. So, uh, adaptive game plans as well but it seems like such a great play caller uh, and uh, we'll find out if he can uh, fix the Broncos the the Walmart family paid big bucks for Russell Wilson now they've paid big bucks and <laughs> draft picks to get Sean Payton to fix Russell Wilson so we'll, we'll find out if he can
0: yeah number six uh talk about rookie head coaches but uh, I don't I'm not sure any rookie did quite like what Mike McDaniel did with Tua because when Tua was healthy last year the Dolphins could put up points on anybody. I mean it helps to have an offensive mind head coach, right? Mike McDaniel from the college Tree, gave Buffalo trouble three times last year and if Tua or if any other confident quarterback would have been there for Miami they go going know if and win that game.
1: That's true, or well, I don't know if it's true, but it maybe I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, Pete Carroll is my number six. For years, let Russ cook, right? Why don't they? This doesn't this team throw more? If nothing else, Pete Carroll's ability to manage Russell Wilson after what he showed last year, without Pete Carroll, makes us wonder. Man, is was he a, the super genius all along? Were, were we overrating and overestimating Russell Wilson this whole time? and yet Pete Carroll still won a Super Bowl and almost won a second one with Russell Wilson. Uh, you talk about, like, a team that people were writing off. Like, I, I remember takes last year from some people I respect, too, that were, it's a 31-team league. The Seahawks are basically so bad, they don't even exist with the rest of the NFL teams on this plane. They're awful. They're going to tank for you know, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, whoever you liked at that time. And, like, the easy, like, 101, like, it'll be, you know, they, they might they might go 0 17. They went in the playoffs and they got, they got, uh, such a, a, a great season, probably the best we've ever seen out of Geno Smith. And so, and I mean, he's not the offensive play caller. He, he's, he's the culture builder. He is just the head coach making head coaching decisions. And it just seems like that team, a lot of young pieces coming together really quickly is a combination, not just of him, but all, but all the coaches on his staff working together. And it seems like the unity is great. Now, the one thing I'll say with when it comes to winning percentage, of the coaches in my top seven, he's the only one whose career record is under 60%. Uh 0. 0.85, sorry, point not eight, point five eight four. Uh essentially the same win percentage as Mike Vrabel. So not that different from Vrabel, but he's got that Super Bowl win earlier in his career. So I'll give it to Pete Carroll at number six.
0: And number five on my list, um, I don't know if I'm biased or anything, but uh, and from going from maybe the most incompetent coach in NFL history to a competent head coach and turn Trevor Lawrence into what we know Trevor Lawrence can be, Doug Peterson, number five. Talk about how about a coach who actually beat Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl and it's not Tom Coughlin.
1: And Brady said, like, the Super Bowl passing yards record in that game, like that was that was an incredible Tom Brady performance that they had to go up against. One of the best in his career, and he didn't even win it
0: in that game. So I mean Nick Foles, if you got Nick Foles to a super bowl to a Super Bowl.
1: Great timely play calling. Obviously the uh the Philly special. Uh, what a what a special play call that just put a massive exclamation mark on it. But the confidence to to not only call that play, but to do it on fourth down as well. And just like everything riding, they could have easily kicked a field goal. It, it, it's and it totally made the difference. So, yeah, I think Peterson definitely deserves credit.
0: Who is number five on your list?
1: So, I've got John Harbaugh. And I think, uh, you know, shout out to the special teams coordinators making it head coach, but so few and far between that we, I think we got to just uh, shine the light on that way. But, um, He's got the Super Bowl win with Joe Flacco. Like he's like, talk about getting the best out of someone. Again, he's not the offensive mind designing that, that play calling, but it also seems like he's given his offensive coordinators full authority to just do whatever is necessary. The the changeover from Flacco to Lamar Jackson happened in season and then they completely changed their playbook. It didn't seem like it was too much of a burden. Okay, we'll just we'll teach in the offense these new plays, and then we're opening this section of the playbook, and this is where we're gonna focus on. And and it seems like He's got a good pulse on what his team needs to succeed, and they've just had so much success over his career. Uh, he also has, I looked this up for some records, right? And, and this is miscellaneous. Not every coach has these records behind them, but I, I thought it was cool to like look out, especially for these top guys. He's got the record for the most road playoff wins in NFL history.
0: Not a surprise with that franchise.
1: And, you know, when you're on the road, the, the other team is favored at home. There's maybe the at least equally as good a roster and to come out victorious in that those situations so often. I think deserves tons of credit for how well he prepares his team on a week-to-week and season-to-season basis. So top five coach for me, John Harbaugh. Uh,
0: number four, uh, maybe the best coach without a Super Bowl ring right now, Kyle Shanahan, because, I mean uh, – Maybe he's been a little unlucky with quarterbacks. I mean, if the Niners would have gone into the NFC Championship with about 15 quarterbacks, it might have been okay. But we know what kind of play call he is. We know what he's done with offenses. You don't need a great talent quarterback. I mean, Matt Ryan and Jimmy Garofalo both got the Super Bowls under Shanahan. And you imagine what he could do with one of these top guys, a like Burrow and Allen, Mahomes, Herbert?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, who knows, maybe Brock Purdy's that guy. Well, Maybe we'll find out this year at <laughs> the answer to that question. Uh, yeah, but Shanahan's certainly one of the elite play callers. Um, we're going to get to those in a sec for me, the elite play callers, but at number four, I've got Mike Tomlin, another record holder the record for most seasons without a losing season and his win percentage through his career point six, three, six. That's just behind Reed and Belichick in terms of like their excellence and what they've done. I think they're, they're, they're the models of consistency. I think Tomlin deserves to be like right there. Top five pick for me easily at uh, just, you know, how many, I don't think Kenny Pickett's very good at all. The fact that they won games to the point where they almost made the playoffs last year and got to that, above 500 record is is outstanding. Uh it just gets the most out of his team, really coaches up the defense well. He's got the Super Bowl ring with the Buccaneers as a DBs coach. Coached some Hall of Famers to, you know, probably it's probably not the reason they were Hall of Fame careers John Lynch and Ronde Barber, but certainly I think impacted in the biggest moment, the most important moment of, of their careers. And was able to take over a Steelers team with some excellent defensive players, work a scheme around it and uh yeah, they won another Super Bowl. Went to another one as well. So, uh, I have Mike Tomlin at number four. Uh,
0: number three, uh, you mentioned him earlier, but uh, Sean Payne at number three. I th- I think anybody would be better than Daniel Hathen last year, but I'm excited to see what Sean Payne does with Russ. I mean, he worked with Drew Brees so well. So, I mean, Russell Wilson feels like a younger Drew Brees.
1: I'd say almost anyone would be better than Nathaniel Hackett. I think you know you knew Hackett on the Jet on the Jaguars. I think you know another recent Jaguars head coach that I think we all would say is worse than Nathaniel Hackett. But outside of that he one would, example,
0: you're right. Be, he will not. Be, he will not be number one on this list. I can tell you who that is. Yeah. Well, he's he number. Be.
1: Yeah, he's number last. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yes, that's. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, yeah, my number. Uh, uh, my number three now. Yeah. So I've got Sean McVay. Uh, just such an excellent play caller. Uh, similar to Sean Payton, right? There's seems like there's always an open receiver, like he'll always be able to scheme, find ways to work the defense, such an attention to detail as well, uh, especially at the receiver position. It seems like he coaches up his players incredibly well. You see the attention to detail and stuff like the hurry up offense or after a big play late, when you want to spike the football, how quickly that team gets lined up and snaps the football. This is like coaching details to like the highest maybe, degree I've Maybe seen. that
0: would have helped in Dallas a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Um yeah, the opposite. We've seen the opposite in Dallas, right? Like, okay, let's get uh let's get D- Dak Prescott uh yeah, uh or or let's uh, one offensive lineman and it's a running back. Yeah. Uh, but no, but you'll never see you'll see some crazy stuff in a Sean McVay offense, but you'll it'll always be functional craziness catches the defense off guard. seems like he's got a really good grasp on that. Um, just how much success he's had at such a young age, I think is incredibly impressive. So top three coach for me right now.
0: Uh, Sean Irvine, number two for me, because, and I mean, as like I said, he's too young to coach. Nah, he's just fine. I mean, what he did with Jared Goff, and now what he's done with Stafford, a couple Super Bowls, 1-1. One, one, he has revolutionized football and made football so so different. I mean I mean Cooper Cup would not have existed fifteen years ago and now he's the yeah and now he's a stud.
1: Super Bowl MVP, the best receiver in the league. Like it yeah, it's it's crazy. And like how many other receivers have come in and done really well? Like He's gotten the most out of Van Jefferson that he could possibly have. And who knows, Van Jefferson might have a great season this year, too, because there's no one else there. Um, but at number two, I've got Andy Reid. And just the, the career resume is incredibly impressive. But certainly the stretch with the Chiefs, the fact that he's gotten two teams to five straight championship games, five NFC championship games with the Eagles, and now five straight AFC championship games with the Chiefs, is both are incredibly impressive. Uh, yes, he's got the best quarterback and probably the best player in football right now. But, I mean, someone who has a fan of my team had Aaron Rodgers for all those years. It was arguably the best player. They don't automatically win the Super Bowl every year because of it. And the one knock against Andy Reid, I think, is clock management. Mahomes has almost made that irrelevant. And I think part of that is just Mahomes is so good at clock management, knowing, like, he'll call timeouts himself. And he, he's he got a really good grasp on the on the on <laughs> that so much that, like, he almost takes out of Andy Reid's hands to a certain extent. I think he has gotten better. And, and like I mentioned, Reid has learned to be better at game management. I think. Those, those issues that especially plagued him in Philly, I think are less present with the Chiefs. And even like through his tenure with the Chiefs, I think he's improved there. Um, there's just his ability to, to, his ability to include the merry-go-round as part of a huddle set up for a team that just later throws a touchdown pass on that same play the Raiders' defense, let's be fair. Josh McDaniels again, <laughs> the, the slander. But he he's not afraid to get creative because he, he also understands what works and what can function and doesn't. Uh, it seems like, more than anything, he listens to his players a lot, too. He gets insight of, like, in-game what's happening, basing his play calling around what the players are seeing on offense, the feedback they're giving on what the defense is facing. It seems like his play calling adjustments through a game are just play calling decisions are unparalleled, probably the best play caller. I would argue Sean McVay and Sean Payton might be better play designers, but it seems like Reed is just always dialing up the right play at the right moment.
0: So based on your list, based on your list, I already know who number one is and he's in New England, right? Of course. Yeah. And based on my list, you know who number one is because I've got nine offensive mind coaches.
1: Well, that's the thing you it means that you you either don't have Andy Reid in your top 10 or don't have Bill Belichick in your top 10 right now I'm, I'm guessing all the shenanigans that have gone on in New England the last couple of years you've completely lost fate and said I'm going with Andy Reid as, as the best coach in the NFL
0: 100% because Andy Reid feels like the best coach in football right now and I'm not sure it's close because what he's done with Patrick Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kel- Kelsey is remarkable. They traded Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes led the league in passing. But how do you how do you trade one of the fastest wide receivers in NFL history and then all of a sudden become even better offensively? I mean, yes, Marquez
1: Valdez Scantling. Oh wait, he barely did anything last year.
0: He didn't, I don't remember MVS playing the Super. I Mahomes mean, was throwing the Kelsey. Oh. You see, he's, he's had
1: two of the best games of his career have been in Championship Sunday. The Packers lost to the Buccaneers in the NFC, or 2020 NFC Championship game. He was phenomenal. He was one of the best players for the Packers that game. Uh, and then he did it again in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals and then was irrelevant for the rest of the season, essentially.
0: He should just suit up on Championship Sunday.
1: Yeah. So if you're if you're next year if the Chiefs make it to the AFC Championship game and you're like in DFS contest or like playoff pickup contest, pick MBS, but for Championship Sunday, don't play them any other week. You'll be useless.
0: I won't be I won't be putting my million in my DK millionaire week one then. Yeah. This no. Probably. Game. All right, Kyle. Thanks for hopping on. Uh, on a. Uh, Think of uh, we need to do more top tens because things always get spicy between us.
1: Well, we did the quarterbacks last year, as you referenced, is that something you want to do again before this season? Is,
0: is are we going to make Ooh, that a tradition? We might, we should, we should do that. All
1: right. So, yeah. I don't know if you want that later in August or even later here in July, but yeah, I'm definitely willing to come back, rank the top 10 quarterbacks. Uh, it'd be interesting to compare it to last year's list too. And, and how much different, certainly some big omissions I can imagine in my list. Um, have to retire some names of course but uh, yeah th- this was super fun dylan i had fun just going through and researching and, and having to rank all these coaches and i was a little surprised how different our, our list ended up being especially at the top but uh, that's what makes these discussions so much fun and anyone who wants to continue these discussions feel free to hit me up on twitter at senra says i co-host the full press fantasy and full press packers pod for pro- full press coverage i'll also write articles for them in season rankings i've got my uh, goal line guide articles where i'm using uh you know on a weekly basis, trying to predict where touchdowns are going to come from, uh, which games, which teams running, passing, like where, based on their opponents, a bunch of research I do in season to kind of help with that. And yes, I do it for fantasy football, but it can have real life applications since touchdowns matter so much in real life NFL games too. So uh, definitely check all that out at full press coverage. And then uh, with going for two, I've got two live streams. One is called press coverage. The other one's called the dynasty gambit. Press coverage is more of a one-on-one, interview with people, uh, usually people in the fantasy football industry. I know Dylan, you were on uh, that actually a couple years ago, uh, season one of of press coverage, you were guest there. So uh, that was uh, super appreciative that you were able to make it for that. The other show Dynasty Gambit's a lot about dynasty fantasy football, which is a format I absolutely love. So uh, I encourage everyone to check all of that out. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Dylan.